Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. We're continuing, of course, our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew, of course, presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. We've been seeing that in the whole study. We're now getting toward the end. We're now at the end of his earthly ministry. Jesus is about to lay down his life for us. He is to become or is about to be the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. <clears throat> We're seeing his last night, basically, with the disciples. He has eaten the Passover meal. He's instituted the Lord's Supper. He's been in the garden. He's been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested. And he's already, we've already seen two trials before the Jews. They're both at night, and they're both illegal. Well, this morning, as we continue, we're going to see the final trial of Jesus before the Jews, and then on to his first trial before Pilate, the Roman governor. And what we've been seeing in this is that Jesus is charged before the Jews as being the Son of God. Jesus is charged before the Romans as being the king of the Jews. And, of course, the great truth is that Jesus is indeed the Son of God who is the king of the Jews. And this morning, we're also going to see the actions of Judas. If you remember when we read it just a while ago, it's a really, really sad part of the Scripture, and we'll see that. I was, uh, I was pretty young when one of uh, the baseball heroes that I followed when I was a boy stood up. His name was Pete Rose. And they nicknamed him Charlie Hustle, and he had to have a uh, press conference, and he stood before the world, supposedly one of the greatest baseball players of all time, and he'd been found guilty of tax evasion and crimes. And I can remember Pete saying, uh, uh, I just want to tell everybody how sorry I am, and I just want to tell all my fans how sorry I am and all the things that I've done. And, of course, I remember the headline saying, say it's not so, Pete, say it's not so. The truth is there are consequences, and being sorry is not really enough. And this morning, we're going to see that Judas is sorry for what he has done. And now we're going to look at the passage, and I want you to understand something when you read it. It talked about that Judas uh, felt remorse. It's a Greek word, metomelomai. It's a different kind of word. It means, it means remorse. It means sorrow. It's not the same as repentance, which is a different word, which is metaneo. It's a whole different word, and we're going to see it as we go through it, as we look at it this morning. What was Judas... What was going on there? And we'll see it as we go through it. You know, people talk about, I'm so sorry for the things I've done. Listen, Jesus Christ came to the earth and died on the cross to pay for every sin, all sins of every human being. So being sorry is not the issue. The issue is, will you put your faith in Jesus Christ to give you eternal life? Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. So as we look at our passage this morning, there's a lot in there. And we're going to see the remorse of Judas. We're going to see the hatred of the Jews. And we're going to see the declaration of Jesus that he indeed is the Son of God and the King of the Jews. And let's sort of think where we are. We're in the trial part. We've been going, for some of those who have been maybe gone, or maybe this is your first time at Stillwater Bible, we actually teach what we call expository teaching, which we go through the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage. We've been in the Gospel of Matthew for a while, and we go all the way through, and we've seen his ministry, we've seen everything. We're now toward the end, and they've arrested Jesus. He had the what we call the Last Supper with his disciples, and they all fled, and they arrested Jesus, and he's been through different trials. And this morning, we're going to see his third trial before the Jews. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But this is where we are, and uh, he's going to be taken before the Romans. And so let me just remind you that he was arrested in the garden uh, by this large crowd, a crowd of, of Jewish people and some Jewish uh, uh, kind of guards, and then Roman soldiers came, and they all got Jesus, and they took him off, and they've been trying him. And there's six trials of Jesus Christ. There were three before the Jews and three before the Romans. Before the Jews, he went first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of the high priest, 
who had been the high priest himself, and of course he was found guilty there. Then they took him to Caiaphas, and we saw this, of course, last week. It was a trial also at night. He was found guilty there. And this morning we're going to see that he's taken early in the morning to the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling body of Israel. He's going to be found guilty there. So for the Jews, he's found guilty all three times. He's then taken to the Romans, and he goes before Pontius Pilate very early in the morning. He's going to be found not guilty. Then he's taken to a guy by the name of Herod Antipas. He's the the son of Herod the Great. He's the ruler of Galilee. He's going to be found not guilty there. Then they're going to come back to Pilate. Pilate's going to find him not guilty. He's going to wash his hands, but he's going to turn him over to to the Jews and and or basically turn him over to the soldiers, and they're going to crucify him. And so this is this is the key. Now we have already seen the first two. He's gone before Annas and he's gone before Caiaphas. If you remember, the key word was this: Caiaphas turned to Jesus and said, "Tell me the truth. Are you the Christ?" the Son of God, and Jesus said, I am. I am the Christ, the Son of God. They got all mad and screamed and tore his robe and, and all this stuff and said, he's, the, he's blasphemy. Now we've got him. We can put him to death. And now that was it. two trials at night. It's now going to be early in the morning, and they're going to try Jesus one more time for the Jews and then take him to the Romans. So let me break down the passage for you. We're going to see the third trial this morning in verses 1 and 2 of Jesus before the Jews, and then we see what Judas does. And I put regrets. That's a key word. Judas regrets his actions, and then finally Jesus is taken before Pilate. We'll have to go to the Gospel of John, and we'll also have to go to the Gospel of Luke to get all the information because there's not everything there. Matthew gives us some information. Some of the other Gospels give us some others. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 27, look at verse 1. It says this, Now when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Now, we saw that in the morning, these first two, they already had two trials. They were at night. That's illegal. And they wanted to do something so badly they would do anything. They'd broken their own laws to be able to get Jesus. And so it says they took counsel, they came together in the big group, and they met and they decided that Jesus, uh, they condemned, basically conferred that he would uh, die and they were going to put him to death. And so let me just give you an idea that here, this is the temple, this is the Garden of Gethsemane, this is where Jesus usually spent the night at Bethany. He was arrested in the garden, he was taken all the way over, basically to Annas' house, we don't have it on this map, he was taken to Caiaphas' house, he's now taken to the temple area where they confer, and then they're going to take him to the fortress of Antonio, which is where he'll stand before the Romans. So this is where we are. This is what's going on. And so it says, now when the morning came, this is now very early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. During the night, they've beaten him up a number of times. They've hit him. They put things over his face and hit him and said, if you're the prophet, tell tell us who hit you. They've done all these kind of things. It's now very early in the morning. All that Matthew tells us is they came together, they conferred against Jesus to put him to death, and they left. To get more information, we really have to go to Luke, and if you want to turn there, if you hold your place in Matthew, turn over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. I just want you to see this, if you want to. It's all the way over to verse 66. Here's what it says. When it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled, and that is called the Sanhedrin. There were 70 members of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of Israel, and they made the decisions. And so they've met together in the morning. It says the whole body came together when it was day, and they brought Jesus in. And here's what they do. Uh, it, It says, tell us, if you're the Christ, tell us. 
But he said to them, I tell you, but you won't believe, and if I'll ask you a question, you won't answer. See, what he's really saying is, that they asked him last night, he's already given the answer. And the truth is this, they don't really care what Jesus says. They've already declared him guilty. They don't care what he says now. So they say to him, if you're the Christ, tell us. He says, look, if I tell you, you don't believe. If I ask you a question, you won't answer. And then he says in verse 69, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of power. Now, you understand what he's saying? He looks at those people and says, I'm the Son of God, and I'm going to be seated by the right hand of the throne of God. But it makes them so mad, they just can't believe it. And so they said to him, so you're the Son of God then? And he said, yes, I am. And then they said, what further do we need of any testimony? We've heard it with our own mouth. And so he declares, yes. He, he said, we've heard it. We have him. And let me just say something, and I brought this out in the first service as well. Listen, here's something you got to remember. Jesus is, you know, when they came and arrested Jesus and grabbed him and they brought him in there and they've hit him all night long and they're going to take him to the Romans. Listen, he's not at their mercy. He's God. He, he's saying, I'm laying down my life. I'm going to take it back up again. He, he wanted to, he could call, as he says, 10,000 angels. He could do whatever he wants to do. And so when they say, we've got him, they don't have him. He's laying down his life on purpose for us. He's going to the cross to die for our sins, to pay for our sins so that we can have eternal life as a gift simply by faith. And so they, they want to kill him. That's the plan. And so he declares, they said, we got him. We, we think we got him. Go ahead and go back to Matthew. And once again, in verse 1, it says, they gathered together, they, they conferred against him to put him to death. They think they have him. And so verse 2 says, they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the government, uh, to the governor. Now, th- that's the Romans. Now, here's why. When the Romans took over and controlled the world and they controlled the Jewish part of the world, they allowed the Jewish people to have their own government. But they said to them, you can't put anybody to death. Romans decided somebody was to be put to death. Now, let me just say something to you. Under the Jews, if they wanted to kill somebody, they don't have the right to kill somebody at the time of Jesus. But if they wanted to, they would stone them. But the Romans don't stone. The Romans do something even more cruel than stoning the Romans put people on crosses and let them suffocate. That's what crucifixion is. Crucifixion, that people don't die because they put a nail through your hands and through your feet. You die because you're on that cross and eventually you can't hold yourself up anymore and it actually suffocates you. Sometimes it could take as long as two or three days. So it was a very cruel punishment. And so the Jews know that they can't put Jesus to death by stoning, so they're going to take him to the Romans and they're going to want the Romans to kill him. And so this is, this is the key. Now, so it says that they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. And we're going to talk in just a minute that this is going to be really early in the morning. We're not talking about... 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. We're talking about real early, and we'll talk about how that fits. But before we get to that, we have to see Judas. And look what it says in verse 3. When Jesus, when, and when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what's that to us? See to that yourself. So when he saw that, he, that Jesus had been betrayed, the one who had betrayed him, when he saw he'd been condemned, he felt remorse. Let me just bring something out. Did Judas see Jesus condemned? Was Judas at the trials? Now, Judas wasn't part. Judas was a Jew. He wasn't part of, a, of the Sanhedrin. 
But was he there? Could it be that when they had the trials, they brought Judas forth to speak against Jesus? It could be. We don't know. All we know is that Judas has seen that Jesus is condemned, and he felt remorse. And the word remorse means regret. It means to be sorry for something. He felt that he was sorry. And, and I want you to understand that this word metamelamai in the Greek, it's almost like you'd say, I was sorry I got caught. It's like you stole something and they caught you and you say, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got caught. He's actually saying, I'm sorry I did what I did and, and I wish I hadn't really done it. And so what it says here, that when he, had been, when he had seen Jesus condemned, he felt remorse. And what did he do? He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Remember, the, they gave him 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. So he's had it. So now he brings it back to them. Now, I, I want, what Judas is really saying is, hey, let's call the deal off. Let's call the deal off. I, I don't like what happened. I, 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 I didn't, I, I'm kind of, I'm sorry that I did what I did. Let's call the deal off. And let, let me just say something to you. Being sorry is not good enough. You know what? To have salvation is not based on if you're sorry. Salvation is based on Jesus Christ. Jesus has already paid. He died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again conquering death. Every sin of every person has already been paid for. Jesus Christ is the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. So the sin is not the issue. When you and I are talking to people about salvation, it, sin is not the issue. The issue is, will they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to give them eternal life? That's the issue. So when some people say, you ought to be sorry, sorry has nothing to do with it. It's faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life. And so some people say, well, Judas was real sorry, so... In fact, that's what the priests actually say to him. They say, so? So you're sorry. What is that to us? We don't care. And so when we realize that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, we also have to realize Jesus has already paid for every sin, and therefore he says, whoever will believe in me will never perish but have eternal life. So that's the key in the whole issue. So look what happens. Verse 4, he says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He said, I, I, I messed up. I did wrong. I'd like to cancel the deal. And what do they say? They say, what is that to us? See that to yourself. They don't really care. They don't care what he says. They, they've, uh, they've already got what they wanted, and that was to get Jesus and to have him. And see, right now, these are the same people that are about to take him to Pontius Pilate. And they said, what is that to us? See to it to yourself. That, that's up to you. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed and went away and hanged himself. Now see what happened? See, Jesus, Judas left and hanged himself. Now how sad is that? When you look at it, remember what Jesus had said? It would be better if the person who betrayed him was never born. Because Judas went and hanged himself. Now let me just give you a little bit more information just so you got it. It says that he went out and hanged himself. And the book of Acts tells us that after he had hung himself, his body rotted, fell down off whatever he was hanging, and burst open. That's in the book of Acts. So it's a terrible thing. And it's a terrible, sad thing. So Judas has basically, you know, left and hanged himself. What we realize is this. When Peter believed God, Peter had believed God. When he sinned, he wept and returned to God. Judas never believed. When he sinned, he was sorry, but he went and killed himself. It's a horrible, horrible thing. So look what happens. The chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, it's not lawful to put them in the temple treasury since it's the price 
of blood. They picked up the silver because he, best we can understand, if you went into the temple, there's a place of sacrifice, big place outside, it's huge. If you went around that, there's a place to wash. And then if you went around that, you're going into the temple area yourself. You're not supposed to ever go in there. You really, as a regular Jew, you were never supposed to go past the big altar. Apparently, Judas went past the altar, went to the priest, and took the money and threw it up into the place, basically, that nobody was supposed to go except the priest. And it says that he threw the money in there and threw the pieces into the temple sanctuary and departed. The chief priest took the pieces of silver, and they said, oh, it's not lawful to put it in the temple treasury. And see how righteous they are? Oh, you can't, we can't take this money and put it in the treasury because it's blood money. So they're acting righteous now? They violated the law all night long. They violated the law dealing with Jesus and everything, but now they're going to act like they, they're supposed to do good things. Let me tell you one thing about the temple treasury, just so you'd know, that in the temple... In one section of the temple, there were these jars. They were 13 jars. They started at the bottom. At the bottom, they were real big. They came up like this, and then they got taller. They got a little bitty narrow neck and then a big open place. And people would come, and they would put their money down in those jars. Now, the reason the neck was real small is they didn't want people to put their hands in there to try to reach in and get the money. And so those were the temple treasury. These priests say, we can't put the money in the temple treasury because it's blood money, because it was to condemn somebody to death, because this guy went out and killed himself. So the priests took the, the pieces of silver, and they said it's not lawful to put it in the temple treasury because it's the price. So what are we going to do with this money? Well, they conferred together, verse 7. They conferred together, and with the money, bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, this field has been called the field of blood to this day. What they decided to do was to buy some property with this money, and they called it a potter's field because they went to a place where the potters would get their clay. They bought a little section, and they said, this will be a place to bury people who don't have any place to be buried. And so the best that we can understand is it's called Alcadema, by the way. This is the word right here. It means field of blood. And so if you look at the city of Jerusalem, this is the temple. This is where they're going to take him to Pilate. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the Kidron Valley. And at the lower end, what they call the lower city, there is a field called Alcadema. There's a question mark there because we're not sure exactly where it is, but it means field of blood. And we think that's the place that... They bought, and so it says they conferred together, and they bought the potter's field, and it was a place to bury strangers, and that's really what it was. They called the potter's field, and it says, for this reason, the field has been called the field of blood to this day, and I want you to think about that, that here is the money used to betray Jesus is now used to buy a field to bury strangers. The old saying is that it was an un unclean money for an unclean place for unclean people because the strangers, nobody knew who they were. Now, watch this next part. It says, then that, this is what Matthew writes for us. He says, that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. He says, this was this fulfilled prophecy. What was it? They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now, this is actually a quote, a combination of Jeremiah and Zechariah. Both of those prophets quoted, and this is an actual quote from those being put together. And so Matthew is actually saying that the buying of the field was the fulfillment of these Old Testament passages. Do you realize in the Old Testament it said 
that they would take 30 pieces of silver and buy a potter's field. That's from the Old Testament. If you just read that in the Old Testament, you'd say, so now you see exactly it was fulfilled with the money that Judas threw back up in there. They took the 30 pieces of silver and bought a field. Let me just remind you that whatever the Bible says is right. The Bible is the authoritative, inerrant, perfect Word of God. And when people go to the Bible, there are prophecies all over. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies dealing with Jesus Christ that are already fulfilled, and there'll be many more fulfilled. Do you understand that when the Bible says something, you can count on it? We live in a society today that a lot of people reject the Scripture, or they say, well, it's got errors in it, or it's okay. Listen, the Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than two edged sword. It pierces far as the vision of the soul and spirit, both of the joints of the marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It is God's perfect Word. You can know it. You can count on it. You can live it out. And so when it's said in the Old Testament, somebody's going to take 30 pieces of silver and buy a potter's field, that's going to happen, and it sure happens happened right there. You can always depend on the Bible. Make that the rule for your life to live by the scriptures. Well, I want to say one other thing about this whole event. Do you realize that God can take our mistakes and sins and use them for good? Judas betrayed Jesus, threw the money back in there, and God took that and used it for something good because something good there was a place to bury people who had no other place to be buried. And sometimes God does that with us. We, we do something wrong. We mess up. Something goes wrong. And God takes it and still brings it to be good. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Those that love God, those that are called according to person. Sometimes it's our sin. Sometimes we do something wrong and then because God then works with us and we go, well, you know, it's time I've changed, or I'm not going to do that anymore, or we learn, or we grow from it. So God can even take bad things, our mistakes, our sins, and he can use them for good. He's he's sovereign. He's, He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. It's so good to know that we can trust God in all of those things. Well, look what happens. Look at verse 11. And, and Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Now, we've got to stop there for just a second and realize this is early in the morning. And this is not 8 o'clock in the morning. I want you to understand something. Jesus is put on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. So, before Jesus is put on the cross, he is tried before the Sanhedrin for the last time. He is beaten a bunch of times. He is taken over to Pilate. Pilate rules he's not guilty. He is sent over to Herod. Herod rules he's not guilty. He's sent back to Pilate. Pilate rules he's not guilty. Then they take him and they beat him and he carries the cross and he gets up there and they put him on the cross and that's at 9 o'clock. All of that happened before 9 o'clock. So when they go to Pilate, now remember Pilate's the governor and they're waking him up. It's very early in the morning. He is not going to be happy. When they come, he's not saying, oh, I've been waiting to see you Jews. He's going to say, what do you want? Why would you come see me this early in the morning? So notice what it says. It says, now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Let me tell you about Pilate. Pilate was the ruler of the province of Judea for about 10 years, from A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. He was an evil man. He was a bad man. 
He was not a good ruler. He had been appointed by the Romans. He was called a proconsul or a procurator. He was also known as a governor. He ruled the province. He took money from the Jews and built an aqueduct for himself. There was a riot. He killed a whole bunch of people. He also took money from the Jews and near Samaria and killed a bunch of people. He actually took a symbol of the Roman government and took it into the Jewish temple and set it up, which caused another riot, and he killed another bunch of people. Eventually, in 36 AD, he was replaced. So he's an evil man. Uh, When you look at it, it's a little bit sad, but he's caught. But I want you to understand something, that before the Jews, Jesus is guilty as the Son of God. Before the Romans, he is declared to be the King of the Jews. Now, we're going to stop. This is where we stopped reading, but we can't stop because we've got to get just a little bit of more information before we end this morning. I'll go very quickly. So we're going to go to two places. Oh, by the way, let me just remind you, before the Jews, it was religious. Uh, before the Romans, it's political. We need to get some details. We're going to go to the Gospel of John very quickly, and then we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke. So if you would, if you got time, if you can, turn to John 18. I just want to flip over there real quickly. I want you to see a little bit more details, because Matthew does, doesn't give us the details, but John gives us the details. And uh, while you're turning there in John 18, I'm going to read verse 28. I put 29 and 30 on the board. It says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. It was very early. And they themselves did not enter the praetorium. Then it goes on to say, before Pilate, he went out to them, and he says, what accusations do you bring against this man? He's actually saying, why are you bothering me with this man? Why did you bring this man to me? And the Jews answered and said, if this man weren't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you. They're basically saying, we don't have to explain ourselves. He's a bad man. You should know that. So Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. But the Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death to fulfill the word of Jesus, which signified the kind of death he was about to die. I want you to understand something that they said, uh, 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 let me go back, they've taken him now to right here. And uh, they, they said, we're not able to put somebody to death. Let me remind you of something. When the Jews killed When they had the right to kill, they stoned people. When the Romans kill, when they do, they crucified somebody. Now, you may have think, and if you've seen movies, you think stoning is somebody's there and a bunch of people pick up rocks and throw at the person. That's not how they stoned somebody. They dug a big hole in the ground, deep enough that a person, once they got in there, they couldn't get out. So they would throw a person down in the hole. Then they would take big stones, big boulders, and throw them over on the person trying to kill the person. They would hit the person oftentimes it hurt them very badly. When they threw those stones, then they picked up little stones, and while the person is in there, they threw until they killed them. That's how the Jews stoned people. They don't have the right to do that at the time of Jesus, so they're going to turn him over to the Romans. Jesus had already said that he was going to die by crucifixion. He said in one place, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. He's talking about the cross. And so they... They say to the, to the, to the Romans, we, we can't put him to death. We want you to put him to death. So I want you to go, if you would, to, jump to uh, Luke chapter 23, just flipped a few pages back. And in Luke 23, it says this. The whole body brought him before Pilate. Now listen to this. They begin to accuse him, saying, we have found this man misleading our nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he is Christ the King. Now look at the, that's the charges. He's misled the nations. We don't even know what that means. He's not paying taxes. That's a lie because he always paid his taxes. And he is, but he, did, he is a king. 
And see, before the Romans, they can't say he thinks he's God. They don't care. Before the Romans, they got to say he thinks he's the king of the Jews. And so we're seeing that they brought him there. And uh, watch what happened. So this is verse 3 of Luke 23. So Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, it's as you say. Pilate said to the crowd of the priest and the crowds and said, I find no guilt in this man. You can see him. He questioned Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yeah. I don't see that he's done anything wrong. Well, see, we, we, if we watch this from a human standpoint, we say, let him go. He hasn't done anything wrong. That's us. But the truth is we can't say that. We don't want him to let him go. He needs to die for us or else we don't have salvation. So in reality, we're sitting here watching this saying he ought to be let go. He hadn't done anything wrong. And yet deep down we know that he has to die to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who will die for us to give to us eternal life simply by faith. And so look what happens. Pilate said to him, I find no guilt with this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. Now, when Pilate heard that he was from Galilee, he thought that it was Herod's jurisdiction, and he sent him to Herod. I want you to understand, he said, he belongs to Herod. I won't have to deal with him. Now, Herod was a man named Herod Antipas. His father was Herod the Great. His father was the one that killed all the boy babies when Jesus was born. He's worse than his father. Herod Antipas, who we're going to see next week, is an evil man. If we think Pilate was evil, Herod Antipas was a lot more evil. He was wicked, and if you read the history of him, he was a strange man. Person. I'm not going to go any further. He's just a weird person. He had a lot of weird views. He wanted to see Jesus because he said, I hope I see Jesus because I want him to do a miracle. I'd like to see Jesus do a miracle. So that's, that's who he is, and he's going to send him there. And so I want you to understand something. Jesus is accused before the Romans as being king of the Jews. Jesus is accused before the Jews as being the son of God. The truth is this. Jesus is both the son of God who is the king of of the Jews. So Jesus has stood before the Sanhedrin, third trial, guilty. He's been taken to Pilate, not guilty, but now going to be taken to Herod, and we'll see that next week. And then Judas, because he is sorry for what he done, what he has done, he gave back the money and killed himself. So let me give you some quick applications, okay? And uh, first of all, let's come under the authority of Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. Now we're talking to believers here talking to those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior. He indeed is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise. Each one of us, in this passage, they said a bunch of times, are you King of the Jews? Yes. Are you the King? He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And one day, Jesus Christ will rule in righteousness and justice. And for those of us who are believers, we need to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about your work, whether it's your schoolwork or whether it's a job, do it as unto the Lord. Live in such a way that people would say, you're different. In our homes, we want to live according to the principles of the Word of God. In our time, we want our lives to count for Him. We want to live for the eternal. And so my challenge to all of us is let's come under the authority of Jesus Christ, whether it's our work or schoolwork or home or whatever it is, we want to live for Him. The second thing is let's realize that being sorry for sins is not enough. See, salvation isn't because you're sorry. Salvation isn't because you say, I wish I hadn't done it. Salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus. He died on the cross to pay for all sin, so sin's not the issue. 
It's whether you will believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Now, some of you, this may be new. You may have always heard, well, you've got to turn away from your sins. You've got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to do that. Listen, salvation is a gift. It's not what you do. It's faith alone in Christ alone. The Bible says God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his son Jesus, that's to die on the cross and pay for sin and rise again, that whosoever, that's anyone, would believe in him. It's faith, not works. Would believe in him, would never perish, but have what? Eternal life. Salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. And so let's realize sorry is not the answer because the sins are already paid for. It's faith in Christ. The last thing I want you to think about is let's realize that God can turn bad things into good. Like he took the money that Judas betrayed Jesus and he took that, basically that money was used to buy a field to bury people. And we know that in Romans eight twenty eight, God works all things together for good. He can take the bad things. Jesus can take the bad things that we have done our failures and our sin, and turn them for good. And that's one great thing, what a great truth, that we can trust Jesus Christ in any event of our life. And if we failed, confess that sin and go on to live for him, he will take it and use it for his glory.